0: Hey folks, welcome back to the second part of the ABBA mixtape If you haven't heard the first part, go back and listen to it That's hey, what I who, can,
1: who can believe that this turned into a two-part episode, right? I know, it's crazy, right? <laughs> totally fucking crazy <laughs> um, Dave, That never happens You're yeah. always finished on time <laughs> 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 uh, Right, so uh, we've done a bit of prehistory We did uh, a little challenge, a little competition um, And I think now we should batter through the tracks that didn't make a playlist, the playlist itself and the nexus, so is up for it. Make it so. Perfect. So before we get to the 12 choices Let's just give a quick shout out To a couple of things we missed I do want to say Ring Ring The first album that came out in 73 There's a, there's a song in that called Nina Pretty Ballerina
2: It's
1: a crap song I'm not suggesting it's a good tune But it's a really, really interesting phenomenon Because in the lyrics to that song And even just in the structure of that song They were trying to write Dancing Queen It is a a sort of Very proto-version of Dancing Queen It's a song about a girl Who... uh, works an office job she commutes every day the people around her don't really know who she is they don't realize that she's a free spirit she's a you know and it's it's literally this almost the same narrative arc as Dancing Queen um and it tries to do a lot of the same things but the band was very early uh, in its in its journey and they don't pull it off quite the same but from a purely case study perspective, I would encourage you to have a listen because it, it's quite fascinating you can see that it's an idea that they liked that they felt it, it, it had a lot of potential to resonate with drunk aunties and they were going to revisit once they had certainly sort of like better tools It's a, an interesting phenomenon In, in their catalogue A little hidden thing I was going to say from a historical point of view You brought it up earlier on But people
0: need love You can still hear the sort of trappings of Benny and Bjorn's old old stuff—the kind of 4 almost sexy style, hippie-ish kind of thing that they were, that they were doing before. Um, Definitely, yeah, it's very of of the time, but it's got it's got a really good groove, and it's got some really cool
1: Phil Spector-esque backing vocals, which obviously would be a huge feature for them going forward. Yeah, they they got really into the the Wallace sound production. Actually, at a couple of points, it be, it became a really big drive to, re- especially with the vocals, just to mm-hmm. layer up the vocals and totally. it's. I mean people without even realising it That's that's what they defined They set the standard for that um, Along with the Beach Boys obviously But I think ABBA Even more so Is a slightly more hi-fi approach to it um, Maybe because it's a little bit newer uh, A song that deserves a mention Just because it's so fucking awful uh, And it's such a misfire Is Sitting in the Palm Tree uh, The shit reggae song From the Waterloo album Dave, you know this one? Uh, yeah, it does not work. Uh, it's absolutely bogging. Waterloo's actually a really good album because
0: they have a couple of like proper glam rock songs on it, like King Kong song. Which has got a really fucking tasty riff and actually has... Bjorn doing like a pure aggressive screaming vocal almost. What? With, yeah, both having like sort of a Beach Boy style backing, like blah 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 blah, 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 blah sort of vocal. <laughs> Which is it's such a weird song that sounds like Kid Rock. And, it used to be called Mr. Sex Which is also <laughs> quite funny What? Like, actually? <laughs> yeah that was the working title for it Mr. Sex So did Kid Rock <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. But it's really interesting to see Like that You know really going for the sweet vibe You know That proper that glam line. rock thing And then on ABBA There's another weird song Called Intermezzo number one Did you hear that? Yeah
3: yeah yeah That's song Yeah, yeah.
0: It's the first instrumental they did And it sounds like it It's just It sounds like it could be Willy Wonka I think it's really whimsical And really melodramatic
2: mm-hmm.
3: I think that was a B-side On Mamma Mia actually
0: Yeah It's got big guitars Big strings Big synths Loads of horns Yeah It's just a Really weird little thing It's quite psych
3: Psychedelic Yeah,
0: yeah. It's, good that, it's good that they I, I like One of the things I enjoyed About listening to the records Was that, that That discovery of like Holy shit They actually They actually didn't just do pop They tried everything
1: Yeah which is cool um, A tune that we didn't mention Which is a really good ABBA song actually I think is Knowing Me Knowing You
2: this is Knowing me Knowing you uh-huh. there is we can do. Knowing me Knowing you
1: uh-huh. From Arrival 76 Yeah I mean uh, As
3: obviously uh, Immortalised by Alan Partridge
1: Well that's the thing, in the UK This might not be the case for any of the foreign listeners But in the UK, knowing me, knowing you Has just become an Alan Partridge Mm -hmm. song Especially because he makes such a good job of mocking the backing vocals and the the call and response vocals, you know the whispers, in some of the some of the clips. Yeah,
0: I, I like that song a lot. It's, it does have a folky feel again that I just mentioned.
3: Yeah, it's quite powerful. Yeah. It's like quite dramatic.
0: Yeah, and yeah, then they've got this synth in the background, and it just the chorus becomes it just opens up. Like I love the acoustic, the mix of the acoustic guitar. On it, actually, it's dead. Ca- that's dead catchy in and of itself. And then again, they do the double chorus thing with the yeah. main hook, and then the sort of contrapuntal backing vocal, sort of call mm. and response vibe. It's a total marvel of a song, man. I think, and the, the guitar looking is great too. The I, I
1: totally agree. Every front on uh, the, <laughs> arrival, there's also a song called uh, "Dum Dum Diddle," which is still that era of ABBA where they were singing inane fucking idiotic little yeah. noises uh, the album the 77 album we spoke about The Eagle uh, we spoke about the chance of, Take a Chance on Me I think both of them are worth checking out on a production basis for Take a Chance I know it's famous but listen to just the fucking brilliance of what they've done uh, listen to just the brilliance of what they did on that, that that recording I think it's excellent and The Eagle is something that's totally overlooked I hadn't really heard it until I got into this uh, episode and it's, it's brilliant but th- that album's also got a uh Thank you for the music. But that was a B side, you know that 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 wasn't actually a. Uh, thank you for the music was like not meant to be a, a single.
3: No, no, it wasn't. Um, but it was on a. Uh, so like the third side of uh, Abba the album was basically like a sort of soundtrack to Abba the movie, and we never mentioned that yet. Thank you for the music. I wonder departure and I'm a marionette. Side C is called the girl with the golden hair. Three scenes from a mini musical. And I mean, thank you for the music. That is like pure Andrew Lloyd Webber, mm-hmm. you know, big shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know,
1: it's Disney and it's huge and it is it is what
3: it is. But I mean, no, thank you.
1: Now, I am clearly biased, but Super Trooper, despite the fact that it came out two days before my birthday, just was such a huge influence on me as a kid. A huge influence on my music tastes going forward. It was one of very few cassettes that I had in my house. I remember getting a cassette player when I was, like, really, really small. I think my parents got it because they got, like, house insurance and like it came with, like, a free Walkman or something. <laughs> that, you know? It's like that thing where you get a free pen uh, with your pension. Um, but I, I had this, like, Alba uh, cassette player. I remember it really clearly. And I used to listen to Super Trooper constantly on this, on this thing. Um and I think it really has to be said what a, f- a fucking absolutely brilliant record that is um, beyond even just the singles I mean obviously you've got Super Trooper you got the winner takes it all um, there's a track called Me and I which we'll, we'll mention uh, you've got Happy New Year Which is really fucking good. There's something like, I mean, it, it's obviously going for a certain dollar, but it has a little tin, tinge of sadness. I mean, this is post first divorce ABBA, right? And it has, Happy New Year has a little tinge of, like, something melancholy in it that I think it makes it, gives it a wee bit more longevity than you would expect. It's got Leo, You're Loving Me, which wasn't a single. It was a sort of, li- it was a limited edition 12 inch, and it became the, lim- the biggest selling limited edition 12 inch in history when it came out, because I think it's, a work of art, it really do. Um, it's also—I know you don't like in Danny and Danny, but it's got on and on and on, which is that big seventies glam rock thing.
2: Really
1: A little bit after the fact, but it kind of nails it. Um, and it's got a track on it called The Way Old Friends Do, which, uh, which we'll get a wee mention. Um, but right back at the start of the episode, we also talked about the fact that somehow ABBA, despite being ABBA, probably I mean, are they one of the most ubiquitous musical things ever? They must be close to um, The Visitors is unsung. I'm amazed. Yeah. I didn't know this album particularly well I mean I, this is The Visitors is the part of the greatest hits That most people don't listen to You know because there's only <laughs> like Really what is it One of us that's on there um, Is The Visitors even on? Gold? I don't, I don't think really so really No no, I don't no. think so And this album really really caught me off guard Now I will say I don't think it's great all the way through I think it really It lags badly Just just before the last tune um, But from Visitors Head over heels uh, When all is said and done Soldiers I Let The Music Speak, One Of Us Two For The Price Of One uh, Slipping Through My Fingers Those are fucking great bits of music And all in different ways um, Mark, is Visitors going to make the your cut? Yeah, I mean uh, just, right, This so, is probably my favourite album So, yeah Okay, so that'll get a mention But Head Over Heels on that The chorus totally fucking slaps You know I'm a totally. big fan of you know I'm a big fan of LaRue Head over heels is the kinda of tune that Louie was obviously listening to and really into. Um, when all is said and done is almost like a Bruce Springsteen song. It's it's this really roll it like galloping even like pop rock tune. Soldiers has just so many layers of excellence in it. Talking about really does, yeah. Verses, pre-choruses, choruses. choruses. It's just a fucking journey of a song. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's got that militaristic drum beat, which is fucking so cool. Given the nature, given the lyrics of the song,
1: yeah, it's dark. Yeah, yeah it's quite. It's, it's really almost dark, man. Yeah. Political. Yeah, it's yeah. got little hints of rock set. Obviously, like. Swedish country folks Um, and also you can tell with soldiers that when Madonna got past her sort of childish early stuff it was stuff like soldiers that she was really wanting to do it actually sounds like it could have been a Madonna song from that sort of middle mid mid to late 80s era Um, I Let the Music Speak is like a better version I spoke earlier on about the kind of Disney stuff it's it's a better version of that kind of slightly croony stuff Um, one of us is th- really fun, bouncy pop. Um, it actually, I think, I think one of us sets the template for n- a lot of nineties pop. Like we talked about when the um, gold came back out. And I think going into like 93, 94, a lot of music started to appear that sounded like this. Like sometimes it was just like one hit wonders, but they had songs that really copied this sort of template. Um, Two for the price of one will get a mention. Uh, Slipping Through My Fingers talked about the Disney template. The chorus in Slipping Through My Fingers is far better than anything that's ever been in a Disney or a Pixar film. Absolutely. But the, f- but the song, generally speaking, really nails that, that, that template, that sort of isolated female vocal, the kind of um, the narrative. I don't know, it's, it's a little bit trite, but it's sort of like softly done. It's not too yeah. offensive. Where this song really nails it, though, is in that chorus that comes out. Uh, and then the final song, Under Attack, which I know you like.
0: Actually, actually, just to stop you there, Chris, the, the album actually ends with like an angel passing through my room in the original edition.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's under yeah, attack. On so the, it's only only yeah. only nine songs on it. I didn't realise that. Uh, yeah. The version I had had under attack last. Was yeah, that, the, yeah, they were. Yeah, That's that the that
3: 1997
1: re-released. CD bonus edition. Oh wow! Okay.
0: Yeah, under well, attack was released after this album came out. It was released in '82. It was actually the last single they ever released.
1: I'm glad they released it. It's good. It's, it's a good song. Yeah, the last yeah. song I've
0: ever performed live as well. When it was on a TV show Then they broke up the next day yeah. Holy shit Yeah But it's got a 70s feel of that Which is quite nice The thing I like about the visitors Is they, they really seem to Sort of foreshadow synth pop In a big way You know People were taking they, they they took obviously What they were hearing around about them At the time All the dark synths You know Some, some more Some more melancholy stuff And, and they applied it In the ABBA away. People just started using A lot of that stuff Going forward You know like a Particularly big pop artists Like Madonna and so on You know um,
1: Yeah definitely Visionary Definitely. record,
0: man. It would be—it's amazing to think about what they could have done next. Because they never—they never planned to split up. They were actually recording new music in 1982 for a new album, you know. And they just—they just, they just stopped. It, it's, it would be interesting to see how they would progress through the eighties if they
1: kept going.
3: Yeah, would they have um, ended up doing Talk Talk style ambient <laughs> indie albums? Who knows?
1: <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm gonna—I'm gonna take a chance uh, on that. Right. um so, let's go into our playlist, guys. Uh, now, I think we've invited three sort of friends in the pod to contribute here. How about we go for the first one, which in this case I think is Ferruccio. Ferruccio Quercetti, the guy with an encyclopedic knowledge, Garage Rock, but it turns out he's also got a total soft spot for a big hit. So let's see what Ferruccio's got to say.
4: It's really hard for me to say which is my favorite ABBA song. You know, for ages it's been Dancing Queen because it's one of the most perfect songs ever written, and so probably it still is Dancing Queen. But today I like to draw attention on a song called voulez uh, because it encapsulates at least three different dimensions of ABBA. Because ABBA could be many things, you know, there's a heavy metal Abba, hard rock Abba, and uh, you get the intro of Boulevard with this intricate almost Middle Eastern um, guitar riff, which could belong to Kashmir era, Led Zeppelin, you know, uh, and then you have this disco beat, so you get disco Abba, relentless, powerful disco beat, and, and then the girls, uh, which introduce, you know, the drama, you know, the epic Abba, uh, the power ballad Abba almost, you know, with the this story of two people who are meeting on a disco floor, but they make it sound like they are like praying to the gods in Balala. It's so epic and dramatic, you know, even though it it talks about the song talks about an everyday occurrence, something that happens every Saturday or Friday night, you know, on a disco floor in Sweden or uh, all over the world. So I have to say that Vulevu is my favorite ABBA song, at least for today.
1: Cool. Uh,
3: it's actually interesting abba. that he says heavy metal, abba, <laughs> and like no, but brings up Led Zeppelin, and I'm like, oh, actually, e- like even like knowing me, knowing you, has some
1: and, uh, elements yeah. of
3: I don't know, early Led Zeppelin could be you know immigrant song or something like
1: it. do 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 do. See, uh, I mean, I'm gutted that he mentioned Mamma Mia. Was it Dancing Queen or Mamma mm. Mia that
3: he mentioned? Dancing Queen, I mean,
1: the two are the same me. Um but. Uh, see see that riff in really vu it's amazing that it lands before the bar' because i mean it's it's in it's in fours right but it it almost sounds like it's not gonna make it if you to that it's fucking brilliant and it takes that sort of slightly like you say in Middle Eastern, it takes that kind of weird timing that weird accent and the trills in it to make it land on time it is a really dynamic song as a result I don't know if I'd quite go as far as uh, let's say but um, aye uh with some choice. It has to be in there. Yep. This is uh this is probably a good time
0: to bring in the two unsung players of ABBA right? Uh the drummer, Oleg Bunkett and uh Gunnarsson the bass player, like both of which were foundational to fucking all of the songs, right? That mm-hmm. they're they they're so tight as a rhythm section and some of the bass playing makes a lot of ABBA songs, particularly more disco songs like this, I think. People don't talk about them that much, but they were just as important as everyone I else, mean, I think.
1: I, I could I could not even have told you who the other players were, so yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh all right, who's choosing there Uh I'll I'll go. I'll go. Hmm. You know, in true unsung style, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the remit. I've chosen from my first of my three, me and I from Super Trooper. Now all of my stuff comes from the kind of later period I I am not a huge fan of other than SOS probably anything of their first four albums Uh, I I don't really give a shit about most of it a lot of it doesn't offend me some of it does but um, by the time they get to Vully Vu and certainly for Super Trooper and The Visitors I think they're doing some stuff that's really genuinely just fucking brilliant um, and has aged remarkably well Me and I, an album track I think it's 5th on super Trooper if i remember has so much going for it like it's got a terrific catchy synth stuff like cheesy as fuck synth stuff you know like an evolving yeah. synth sound as well at start it's just it just it's lovely it's like just the 80s you know it's the 80s arriving um uh, it's got at least two or three really big hooks in it including uh, what that when when that uh, synth riff recurs uh, yeah. it, it's it's buoyant Without being cheesy You know it stays the right side of that line Um, It was used for the uh,
3: BBC television coverage of The Bowls In the early 80s Which is absolutely perfect
1: (laughs) You ever seen the balls, man? Those guys are wild. Like, see the <laughs> amount of ching getting rattled backstage at the balls, man? It's unreal. The shit they got up to. Like, I was uh, I was working at the balls, cutting the grass with scissors one year, and I went backstage by accident. It was absolutely <laughs> carnal. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: me and I. I think, it's for me, it's got a, almost like a chic kind of vibe. It, yeah. It, fe- it feels a bit funky, almost. Not proper funk as we know, but it feels like it's... They head in that direction. The big synth chords that power the main melody are are (laughs) incredible. (laughs)
1: Those are amazing. They are so unapologetic. They're so unapologetic.
0: Uh, uh, For me, this is a whole new flavour of pop from ABBA, right? Apparently, they got a bit of backlash for Villavu because it was disco and disco was dying. And obviously, they've decided to turn on their disco card and go here. This is what we do. And this is what happens when we take disco and do something cool with it, do something Mm. ABBA with it. Um, and me and I As a result of that I think it feels triumphant It feels like a triumphant song to me. Very
1: uh, Very So who's next?
0: Uh,
3: well I'll go I'll just I'll put in my Fernando right now Because we've already talked about it <laughs> And I think
1: What i think like this song is so whack So
2: bugle calls <laughs> coming from They were closing my Fernando Every hour Every minute Seemed to last <laughs> eternally. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, but like what I'm getting from it is that sort of having watched uh, uh, Muriel's wedding and that weird darkness, and me being, you know, prepubescent and not understanding uh, grown up adult issues. And then, like, this is such a fucking sad, tragic song. Also, I mean, Alan Partridge's son is now named Fernando. So, <laughs> I, I mean, perfect. Uh I mean it's just a big fucking sad romantic song.
2: There was something in the air that night the stars were bright and tender. They were shining there for you and me in holy
3: beauty and tender. To me you know ABBA are everything and this is the it's certainly not unsung in any way um but it's uh, yeah. it's as big as ABBA got in terms of balladry or whatever
1: i really do think benny could be a wee bit of a slut at times do you know what i mean and i think this is benny you know he's going for the moz here he's like i tell you what i'm gonna write this one for the moz yeah well fuck it it i'm gonna slap it on the greatest hits this first greatest hits album that we're releasing like three years after we started (laughs) i'm gonna release this moz anthem for all these like heartbroken like romantic, like women that are reading those kind of like fifty pence, one pound little novella things. Do you know what I mean? That you get at the newsagent on one of those spinning wire racks. Fernando sounds to me like the cover of one of those little novels. The the woman in the bustier, like kind of fainting, and the guy grabbing her with shirt ripped open. I mean, it's it, it's pure cheese, yep. and it's pure aimed at eighties moes. And I <laughs> think Benny Benny should have a word doing so. All right, Mark. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, Ego Which we spoke
0: a little bit about earlier on
2: The
0: long version Which is called on the album <laughs> Ego long version For some reason yeah. Even though the single Is roughly the same length Bizarre <laughs> <laughs> Like I said It is a, basically a prog rock, prog rock song It's a total what the fuck moment Especially at this point in their career They've just done you know, Knowing me Knowing you On the last album You know uh, On Arrival They've done that weird Panpipey shit On Arrival itself They've like got dancing queen And then Suddenly you're like This is actually a prog rock song What the fuck is going on here Uh
1: It's, it's a total non sequitur uh, I will yeah. give it that I, I, Again I'd never heard it Because this is never an album that I'd, I'd spent any time with And mm. I like it It is nice as I, I mentioned earlier on I think it's got actually qualities of The Eagles That kind of really open acoustic-y Desert-y thing Like something very sort of chilled And rolling and flowing It doesn't You know the tempos don't change It's just got a real expanse to it It's, it's nice I mean it's not groundbreaking but it's a, it's a nice string to their bow and they do it really well and the harmonies in it are something that you know something that made the Eagles great and it's something that makes this song work as well
0: mm-hmm. It's got a really cool recurring guitar and synth motif that kind of play throughout the whole song which is nice and it really beds in with the groove so the chorus does soar, it does kind of feel like it soars mm-hmm. um, but with that, with that uh, melody and those backing vocals In the second chorus there's a a male backing vocal that comes in Kind of like in between the lines almost call and response From from the main vocal Which is just a really lovely little touch in the second verse And then towards the end they have got like a surfy tremolo guitar part Which is just dead weird the reason I like this song and it only, it took me until I was listening to it the other day to realise what it was is it actually feels like a jam it feels really loose it does which, which yeah. they don't do they, they never really do because everything's so perfect and pristine this actually feels a bit like it's a band in a room playing mm-hmm. and that's kind of cool
1: No, yeah, I really agree with you there yeah it does it feels like they jammed it out uh, alright our next guest our next guest uh, we have taken a submission from a good friend of the pod Hazel Burgess uh, subscriber and regular listener and probably the only person more cynical than me involved <laughs> with this um, but uh, yeah Hazel had uh, some thoughts to add and thankfully she gave a shout out to a that I'm glad is getting some representation
5: So ABBA aren't canon so to speak in my childhood intro to music my mum was into prog in the 70s um, so she wasn't really into ABBA uh, but ABBA were just kind of always there, part of the furniture. Like, you were born knowing who ABBA were. And no one hates ABBA. If you hate ABBA, you're just a wronging, to be honest. Um, And they covered so many genres they did glam rock, they did ballads, they did rock, they did funk, they were political, they did that I hate you, I love you thing that folk loved, like Fleetwood Mac, you know, I'm going to write these lyrics about you and you're going to sing them. They even did fucking reggae. But my heart is with probably Electro Disco ABBA. Um, The two that stick out for me are Gimme 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 uh, from 1979. It's a Gay Anthem, what an intro. If you don't dance, you're dead. Um, And the second half is particularly, particularly good. Um, The other is probably Lay All Your Love On Me from 1980. It's kind of hymn-like. It's probably some subliminal weird Catholic shit going on, but I I love it. Um, They do that drama synth strings, bass lines, untouchable harmonies. And I mean what's not to like and special mention though needs to go to the song The Visitors from 81 it's a belter and it's got that weird Mario getting a coin sound at the beginning it's about 20 seconds in best cover is probably Portshead SOS from High Rise. Cheers guys!
3: So, could I veto Gimme, Gimme, Gimme? And can we take (laughs) Leo, Love on Me? uh,
1: Yeah, sorry. Hazel's choice was Leo, Your Love on Me. Yeah, because I think that. But
3: I have a very personal reason for Gimme, Gimme, Gimme going in the bin. And it's because (laughs) for the last two and a half years, I've had a neighbor through the wall of my bedroom who, I mean, they they definitely have severe issues. But (laughs) the main issue is the fact that they. play play that fucking Madonna song that samples Gimme 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 Uh, and
2: they
3: play it from 10pm until 4am every Monday Tuesday and Thursday night at full volume and uh, it's actually been a little better the last few months because the police came and took all their fucking audio equipment away. But uh, <laughs> someday, phone
1: them. Absolute someday, phone them. <laughs>
3: absolute fucking fiends. And if I ever hear the intro to that song again, I'll just fucking jump out a window. So
1: well, funnily, funnily enough, uh, I would veto it for a very similar reason because I'm in a band with Luigi, uh, my sometime involved flamy, <laughs> and. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give that riff, that exact riff that you sang is his warm-up riff for every fucking show, <laughs> right? So any time he's checking to see if a keyboard is working, and and Luigi has about six keyboards when he's playing live, every single keyboard gets that riff. And it, the joke has never worn thin in him. Oh I mean, it, it wore thin enough by the time he checked <laughs> his second keyboard the first time. But for him, every single time, he always oh, no, looks it up for the reaction. cuts through me
3: so. like glass. Yeah
1: so so, wait a minute let's focus on the fight. okay Hazel made a lot of good points Electro Abba I love them uh, the SOS covered by Portishead is amazing absolutely totally agree with that um, but honestly Leo You're Loving Me I'm really fucking pleased that she nominated it because I am not exaggerating it's definitely top three and it would honestly be a contender for the best song ever for me I mean I think <laughs> anybody's. I, by no, I I am being completely serious. I think that song is about as good as contemporary, certainly as contemporary like pop songwriting gets. I think it's an absolute fucking masterpiece. I think it's it's amazing. Like, I can't say enough good things about it. Um it, it's it's a shoe in for top three for me and that's only as a caveat so I don't have to pick a number one. Mm-hmm. But uh I I just think it's amazing. Amazing. Uh, and it wasn't a single. It, like I said it was that it was that limited twelve inch thing, but I think it's every single thing about that song is fucking inspired.
0: I've uh, also written something similar. That's maybe one of the best songs ever written by anyone ever. So. Yeah. Definitely agree, it's just a total fucking rapper man Every yeah. single part of it, it's just so meticulously constructed, it's so clever as well Oh man, I could talk about, I could do a whole
1: podcast it, on this song Exactly, yeah, it's got about eight hooks in the one song It's so condensed, that there's no fat on that song Everything is doing something And they went for a really dynamic, sort of minor approach to it as well That's the thing, it does chord changes that are so anathema to pop music of that era certainly of of the 70s you know, I mean that was okay, that was arriving in 1980 but that, even in itself it it represents a kind of sea change we're out with these stupid major like Waterloo-esque progressions we're doing stuff that's a lot more dynamic and melancholy and yeah, I, I just honestly, incredible bit of music Alright, your next choice Chris? Uh, so my next choice is an interesting one, I think Mark maybe agrees with me in this one, um This is uh, a tune from The Visitors And it needs to be qualified It's called uh, Two for the Price of One (laughs) Um, And it needs to be qualified First and foremost by the fact that The verse, both verses are terrible (laughs) Terrible (laughs) Terrible They're fucking awful. They really are. Um so it's an album track off that album, which only had one single, really, anyway. Was it just one single, I think? Um where this song has made such an impression is that it has one of the single greatest pop choruses I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, the multi-layered vocals, man, are just something else in this chorus. Uh, yeah. So you,
1: you you spoke about choruses being divided in two. So what they do is they go for like basically four measures of this pattern, right? And the first two are just the male vocal, which is unusual for them anyway. It's like a kind of muted guitar that it doesn't get itself too excited. It stays quite relaxed. That the, the verse is more open and really quite throwaway. The verse it really is quite a throwaway verse. It's like you know, it's like the the wrapping on the food that you're going to eat once you get rid of it you're into the, the the meat of it and then the first two times through that chorus are great they're really nice the instrumentation the way it's been recorded are fucking genius but the second half of the chorus is where the female counter melody comes in For the Honestly It's It's um, it's so effortlessly It's not flashy in any way It's not overproduced It's an album track But it is just The ultimate Underlining Of how fucking Talented these people were That they could do something So musically Perfect
3: Yeah in terms of and Its structure It's more like I don't know like Queen or ELO or something like that in terms of just, ELO's
1: definitely yeah. good yeah, yeah. Mm. also another thing I really like about it is the fact that it ends with a very ostentatious Sgt Pepper's Beatles ending so bombastic <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the big sort of like brass band, tongue in cheek sort of. It's almost like they were like, "What do you want to do with the end of the song?" We've written two amazing choruses. We managed to come up with a verse, and then they come up with this kind of outro of a. You know, it only only goes through two cycles, and then it does this outro. I just think it's it's such a a weird bit of writing, but the chorus is literally humbling in it's fucking brilliance So like, I, th- I think it's just so so good. A song about a threesome. I didn't know that. We'll, yeah. we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one of there. the reasons
0: that one of the reasons I also like the chorus so much is is because they could have went really big with it, but instrument instrumentally it's really quite subdued. It's by muted the, by their yeah. nature, yeah. And yeah. I would really like that. Because of the because of the lyrics of the song and and the, and the way the verses are particularly a second verse when there's a fucking phone call bit in it which is it's awful hasn't really it's
1: particularly well absolutely awful and emb- it's almost embarrassing it's like a thing that you need to apologise for when you're playing it to people because <laughs> yeah. like, I, I did that exact thing I was like by the way check it how great this chorus is and then you find yourself apologising for the whole second verse it feels a bit novelty because of that but the chorus is is, is, is brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant uh, my next
3: song is another well this is this is my one album track that I've chosen uh, and I've gone for my mama said which is from Waterloo actually so fairly early, but it's like yeah, it's just got. Total R and B vibes, like just a wee bit of white man funk, but like it doesn't <laughs> sound too white man funk. It you know, it could genuinely be off a Motown record or something. Um it's just got like that big sort of fat, funky bass. It's very subtle, and that's what I really like about it. And I guess, I mean, who's doing, I guess like Wings and stuff, you know, we're doing similar things to this, experimenting with black music um, or stealing black music. But uh, <laughs> man, yeah, I d- I, it just doesn't sound like what you think Abargo sound like. It sounds like some cool, mm-hmm. funky 70s shit. Um, and I, yeah.
1: They definitely. They- they they tried to experiment. Clearly, we spoke earlier on about was it sitting in the palm tree. They tried to experiment with incorporating, especially uh, like black influences, and sometimes it bombed terribly. Yeah, but there are there are also other moments where they they get it a bit more. Well, it feels a bit more honest. Yeah, because you know like I mean? they're just they're not subtle, they're not
3: overtly going. Oh, let's try a reggae song. What they're doing is like, all right, let's just try a little bit of funk, guys. Let's uh, bring in that bass. Come on. And uh, yeah, it works. It's much more natural.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, actually, earlier on we spoke about the song Head Over Heels, and the reason that the chorus in Head Over Heels slaps so bad. I mean bad in the, the good sense. <laughs> uh, the reason that, that, that the reason that mm-hmm. that works is because they chose to use that funky brevity rather than just letting the chords ring off. There's there's a very subtle mm-hmm. um you know they've woven in influences in that situation they've, they've not been just, you know, pastishing it or or aping it. They've they've incorporated those influences in a really good way yeah. to the benefit of the song and I think they do get it right sometimes definitely yeah. Mark What's your next banger?
0: So Watch Out from Waterloo. Um, it's basically a seventies rock seventies rock song.
2: You wild,
1: You like about a that, don't you? I didn't realise how much you were a fucking.
0: I like cheap h- Trick, man. I love cheap tricks, so <laughs> yeah, I'm only just realising. Watch us get a really good riff. There's actually some awesome guitar work on it, and you don't get that very often. One thing I was going to say about my, my mama said, and I apologise if if, you, if somebody mentioned it, but it's actually that song's actually got a, got a guitar solo on it, which you don't really mm, hear very yeah, often. Yeah, in the songs. middle eight, yeah. And Watch Out it has got some really good guitar work it, It's got Bjorn vocals He's actually a parts where he's wailing He's actually wailing And it's so cool to hear
2: <laughs> uh,
0: Big glam rock thing And Benny's doing his patented big old cheesy fucking synths And they're great too it's also got a chorus which feels a bit like The Doors, which is an interesting choice. But it really works for me, man. I think it's an overlooked song on an album, which is, I think, a best average. You know, I understand the significance of Waterloo Records, mm-hmm. both for the both for the the band themselves, cause obviously because Waterloo was their Eurovision, their big Eurovision single, and also it put them on the international scene, I suppose. But it does have a couple of cracking tracks in it, and this is one of them. And I think this deserves to be pulled out. So yeah watch out cool. for me
1: alright well uh, our next contribution comes from a long term contributor and mate down under Craig Carrick hello boys
3: hope you're well Craig here from the other side of the planet um, an ABBA mixtape eh that'll be a, be a bit of fun um I was going to suggest something from their 80s output from especially the Visitors album which is way ahead of its time and so many people um ripped it and it's you know I don't think there's any real popular hits on it um but the music the musicality on it is just incredible um but in putting forward my suggestion it has to be The Winner Takes It All one of the the original big power ballads um and just just a cracker of a song what can I say? Rules must be obeyed. Take care. Hopefully see you sometime in the next decade. Bye.
2: Nothing more to say. No more race to play. The winner takes it uh, all the loser standing small.
3: From a man that loves Rocky Four. As much as he does, then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he li- he likes what what he likes in films he likes in music, and he likes big, powerful fucking ballads.
1: Yeah, I mean, you I was thinking about it, this, right, like, we should at some point do a special on power ballads, and yes. just on power ballads, because I do kind of want to know what were, like, the, the sort of proto-power ballads, Yeah, because this sort of... This song, like mean, eighties, was clearly the era of the power ballad, but there must have been some examples from the late seventies. I actually,
3: this I, ha- I actually DJed uh, Ultimate Power. Power Ballad club night once, it's pretty, and good. uh, you can't really dance to them, like, yeah. I know it's just too much of the is same wave thing. Wave your fist, it's uh, good to drop you know one every 45 minutes, but you know, four hours of fucking
1: meatloaf is pretty
3: intense, <laughs> man. <laughs> Jesus, Bonnie Tyler, <laughs> and
1: heart. Um, but I think like this song really does sort of uh cement the formula of a power ballad, it doesn't have mm. the power to the same degree as a lot of the stuff like nilsen and stuff that would follow it but mm. it does get the idea start small get bigger make it really yearning keep the tempo like half speed that those kind of things it, it was it, it was a pre-cocaine power ballad Yeah, possibly. Yeah. ah you're right. Just at the start of the kind of studio culture of the eighties. Yeah. Um I think this more than almost any other tune probably set the, the groundwork for Roxette. You know, their their countrymen, mm-hmm. country folks. Um, because Roxette made a career out of songs of of this ilk, um, which I fucking love, clearly. Uh it is a really really significant tune um, It's coming off Super Super Album Which I'm a big fan of It's not my favourite tune on the album Purely because it's so egged You know I mean it is really like it. It's not subtle um, But you know it maybe doesn't have to be uh, A popular misconception as well Is that it's about their divorce uh, They maintain to this day that it, it isn't about Mm -hmm. their divorce specifically it's just as with so many other songs it was possible to read into it a sort of personal significance i guess you could take that with a pinch of salt maybe they're maybe that's true maybe it's not i like the idea of you know uh, making you know like hazel mentioned that make it (laughs) that kind of weird passive aggressive thing of making your bandmates sing things that are like (laughs) emotionally uh triggering Mm -hmm. um there is something weird about that uh, and kind of perversely satisfying, but yeah. I don't know I don't know how true that is about this song, but certainly in terms of the template that it at it, 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 it least helped solidify for, for the power ballads to come, it, it's huge.
0: Well, apparently uh, Bjorn was pissed when he was writing it and he wrote the whole <laughs> lyric in an hour. And that was it. Great. <laughs> so... <Right. laughs> And uh, apparently, uh, I well, I just forgot to was your name, Agneta. Agneta uh, apparently, Agneta, um, she actually cried when she heard the lyrics, and to this day, he, but continued to, to say that neither getting that nor I were winners in our divorce. So there you go. Yeah, well, uh,
3: there you are.
0: It's Britain's favorite favorite ABBA song as well. Is that true? What? I. Really? Wow. <laughs> I'm amazed yeah. how how was that um measured? The Channel Five poll. All
3: oh, right, <laughs> so okay. it's Channel, Channel 5, you get Dev, that's full eh. of fucking divorcees Don't
1: don't <laughs> don't argue with Channel Five, man. That's that's science. <laughs> the Nation's Voice. Um, okay, so my final choice, and I'm not going to lie, I, I struggled with this one because I, I was I was yeah I was wondering what way to go. SOS was almost there, but uh, I went for a, a much more obscure cut. I went for a track called "The Way Old Friends Do." which is from Super Troopers, uh, which was recorded live at Wembley. Uh, I'm not sure quite how live. I don't know if this is like one of these kind of kiss live <laughs> kind of records, or if it's actually live. Uh, if it is actually live, it's astonishing, uh, the performance. Um, first and foremost, I'd like to get out of the road. This should have finished, this album. They dead they're on the original pressing. Mm-hmm. Okay, that <laughs> is satisfying. No, that is... That's satisfying because yeah. I'm obviously I'm working off multiple issues here, mm-hmm. and it has always fucking annoyed me that they tried to follow this on any of the later pressings. They should never have tried to tack anything else on the end of it. <laughs> you can't follow first of all, first of all a live tune, but also just the sheer gravitas of this song, the, the fact that the band's four part harmonies are incredible, and then the second half of the song they bring in almost the whole choir and an audience. And a full string section and a horn section. It's so big. And
2: so joy, and we
1: yeah, it's trite, but it, it does it so fucking well. Like, if you are going to try and do that thing, it has to be at least as good as this, or don't bother. Um, it is just massive, and I think that the the added sort of emotive impact, emotional impact of the fact that it was a live performance, I think, really gives it a hair raising quality. So uh, I I just album. want to mention,
3: um, like this is we we this is an ABBA episode for the Everyman, um, because. You can go deep down the ABBA rabbit hole. The rabbit, the rabbit hole, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, for instance, on this song, I ended up on a, a message board, and some and <laughs> s- some guy, Fortune. some guy called motspiano Piano Two, who's a forum resident and thread starter from Brisbane in Australia. Hi, I've created this video comparing how various ABBA CDs fade out the applause at the end of the way old friends do. The CD edition, this different CD editions I've compared are the West German Polydor from 1982, the Japanese Disco Mate from 1984, the Atlantic release from 1986, Japanese Polydor from '86, more Abba Gold '93, USA Polydor '93 and '95, Abba Remastered 2001, The Complete Studio Recordings 2005, and Deluxe Edition, and then he's got about 14 paragraphs on how the applause fade out differs on different versions of this of a CD um, recordings Um, and my god what a what a hole what a rabbit hole you could go into what I also love (laughs) is like the first reply isn't like oh my god you've gone so deep or holy shit what amount of information the first reply is just like well, it strikes me that the latter versions you mentioned, uh probably used the two track Mixed Own Masters rather than the album Master. I always assumed that Applause Segue and Lock, Groove ending were applied during the final album sequencing <laughs> and not during as part of the original mixes.
1: I mean, fucking hell. Great work. We're getting into it. I mean that that's what makes Abba fans Abba fans. They have inspired that sort of cultish following. Um yeah, well I can't I can't pick my favourite fade out on the applause. <laughs> but um as a song I mean, it also has that slightly Celtic quality. You know what this Very song reminds so, yeah. me of? It reminds me of Runrig. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. mm-hmm. It could easily have been one of the, like Runrig used to do this with Loch Lomond, which was a big tune for them, obviously. And they had the live versions were always the ones because you got the extra hair raising goosebumps thing the of oomph. the audience singing along with it. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's I think it's fucking brilliant. And the thing is, on that. Grid that we were doing earlier on This one probably falls way Like miles away From my other two choices Um, But yet it really speaks to a part of me And it may just be my Scottish background Poking through there I think it's it's swaying me on it But yeah I think it's great It's a beautiful ending to a record I'm glad that was in the original I didn't realise it That's a pretty great song All right.
3: so my one I mean I, I guess I just went the songs that mean the most to you, and I mean, fucking, I've just gone Waterloo. Fuck it, let's. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's the song, it's the song, yeah, but it's a mixtape, but it's not necessarily the most unsung ones, and I knew you two were going to go fucking niche anyway, and uh, I'm not like a deep ABBA fan, but no matter who you are, ABBA are going to mean something to you somehow, and their songs are going to mean something to you, and Waterloo was the first ABBA song I remember, because my mum used to video... Top of the Pops too, and uh, the Old Grey Whistle Test, and I remember watching, seeing Waterloo performed on Top of the Pops, and it would have been from the seventies. And I mean, what a fucking chin! Just absolutely stuck in my head. <laughs> One of the greatest choruses of all time. It's so happy. It's so naive. It's so cheesy, and it launched them as you know to become ABBA. And
1: I mean, un- unsung perhaps in the sense that yes, it was voted the greatest Eurovision song of all time, but it wasn't voted the greatest song in the universe. <laughs> so I'm not trying to say it's
3: unsung. I'm you know, <laughs> I'm just saying it should go on the fucking. No, nah, you're tape. right.
1: You're right. That that was not in the remit, and that was not specified. You're right. I mean. I I really don't like it. It's the Abba that I don't like, but, you know. No, I understand, but there's just something
3: so optimistic and cheesy and happy about it, and I I really don't like glam rock, but there's just something fucking untouchable about this. Yeah, like it, it works.
1: Plus, it's plus like a screensaver DJ song in
3: moved. the back of my head, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Mark, your last uh, your last shout. it's the visitors, isn't it? Final word. Oh, oh my God! I mean, yeah, I think this is, is like. Riff. This is riff. the
3: unsung classic ABBA tune. It's yes. like it's the, it's the cult classic ABBA, ABBA
1: album. Yeah, cult ABBA album yeah. and song. I mean, Craig's called it as well it's It's a fucking great album it's an album that even as much as I like them and as much as I love Super Trooper I hadn't taken the time to engage with this album and I'm amazed how much I like it it's, it's very very good uh, and it's also a whole era of relevance that they didn't have for me in their early career so I was always clinging to the end of their career now I've got a whole other foothold it's brilliant yeah and this song I mean you know talk about warming up keyboards um, maybe I can convince Luigi to start playing this riff to check if the things are working because it's, it's fucking so good so, yeah.
0: so good so 80s as well this is ABBA trying to be serious pop band you know this is them trying to get introspective a little bit and, and have music which sort of matches that introspectiveness it's it's dead moody it starts with brooding synths it's got there's a, there's a nice few bit of reverb and a lead vocal it sounds a bit boxy a bit processed then there's like an aching sort of swells of guitar and then it kind of explodes into almost a dance song. It's got like a, quite a dancy beat.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: slowly opens up and... You know, it reminds me a wee bit of uh, the early Depeche Mode stuff You know, like Just Can't Get Enough, that kind of era Where you would have a song built around an incredibly hooky synth riff And that's kind of what that is Well, It was the
3: first album that was recorded digitally, I think That Mm. they did, not in the world, but that ABBA did And you can hear it in this song, you know It's Mm -hmm. much more
0: pristine, clean, exact I can see why ABBA wouldn't want to release this as a single Because it's not... Pure catchy, but it's still the the chorus. The chorus is still pretty catchy, even if it is a bit more, you know, low key. Mm -hmm. Um, The lead synth, like you say, Chris, that riff is just fucking superb, man. Um, It really brings in Benny's classical influence. And then the lead guitar work that plays around it It's just it, it's, shown, it's shown that they actually had ideas still coming out of their arse Even at the end of their career They didn't know it was going to be the end of their career But they we're still you know, they We're still trying things And yeah mm-hmm. it's totally this album it, it itself This song and this album is quite exploratory But this song and the album feels quite fluid You know it, it seems to move together better than most of the other records The songs seem to fit together I think sometimes in their albums They can go from like one extreme to another Which is cool doesn't make that doesn't make them bad records, but this one feels like a, a piece, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, fun- I like how they let this song breathe as well before it fades out.
3: Yeah, it's patient, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's like a five minute long song. And yeah, it one works. of the longest songs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's interesting, like, you could put this on a compilation of like powerful eighties, you know, business bangers, you know, along with like <laughs> Huey. See business, bangers. yeah, business bangers, like you know,
1: <laughs> it's a genre for the show. Well,
3: you know, I'm thinking of like Huey Lewis and the News and Robert that's, that's Palmer genre and name. stuff like that. Yeah,
1: like yeah. like American Psycho. Yeah, exactly. Stuff, yeah, that's fucking brilliant, Dave. But they've but, but this is like five years before all of that. Business bangers, fucking this.
3: You know, this was '81. This was like you know before a lot of that stuff was popular. But it fits yeah. so perfectly in.
1: Yeah, like I mean, ahead of his time. I mean, this was still a number one album, even though it was overlooked in the long term. Uh, So the people like Huey Lewis and the news and the the people that were Phil Collins, all those guys, they were still avidly waiting for the next ABBA album to drop, you know. So when this dropped, they would have been like giving it heavy, heavy rotations. So if this sounds like that stuff, it's probably not by coincidence. No, absolutely. I
3: think it's hugely influential
1: fucking dynamite list guys dynamite list and we got a new we got a new term out of it uh, business bangers
0: business bangers yeah mate
3: uh-huh. um, Chris can I have a club Copy night your- when we reopen
1: got <laughs> <laughs> to uh, everybody's got to gel their hair back yeah, yeah wear
3: yeah. uh, sho- shoulder padded suits and t- take yeah. lots of cocaine <laughs> yeah well <laughs> yep good effort alright great well I mean that's a good mixtape we'll have that on uh, Spotify for everybody if they want to listen to that
1: just yeah it should we do uh, should we do like a should we do a reduced mixtape and a big mixtape with a bigger yeah let's do the like the 12 perfect
3: one that we've chosen and then let's do like all the songs that we've mentioned The I mean,
1: I- the deluxe gold edition well, yeah, we, exactly. Abba Gold Volume 69. Uh, we, we've been listening to uh, our collective mixtape all week to try and Abba get it. Abba Silver. It's effort. called Abba Silver,
0: right? It's got to be called Abba Silver.
1: <laughs> or Brown.
3: Uh, totally oh, Chris, green. actually, see, at the end of this podcast, could you put one of the nine different uh, applause fade outs as well? <laughs> <laughs> that would be ideal.
0: Sorry, I cut you off there. I just, I just I had to say that.
1: <laughs> uh, so. We are going to attempt an ABBA, mi- uh, ABBA mixtape Nexus, mm-hmm. aren't we?
3: The, this is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store this, for this us? is not good one. Trying to get to who chose and who is it? We are taking Abba to Maureen Rees. Maureen from driving Hang school. On a second, but we yes, we don't know who picked that, do we? <laughs> can yeah, can no,
1: nobody. Well, if you in an Abba all week, if you picked that, be very proud of yourself. Was a cat?
3: Was a Carlise maybe? Uh, maybe, but um, yeah, Maureen from driving know, school. Remember, if sorry. you if you're not from Britain in the nineties, then she yes. was uh, the standout character of a. BBC programme called Driving School, which is like one of those early docu soap things. Uh, and it followed, you know, reality TV and it followed people learning to drive in Bristol and South Wales. And,
1: and she was hilarious because she was so bad, and our driving instructor nearly had conniptions every time.
3: Yeah, and there was her and her husband, and then there was her and her driving instructor. And she drove a ladder as well. Is that not right? That was, she was part of it. One, <laughs> she was the worst driver. But yeah, so that's who we've got to connect ABBA to.
1: So, uh, Chris? Uh, okie doc. Well, ABBA... Now, I can't remember what year this was, but they basically threatened to sue the Danish People's Party. Their initials, I believe, are DP. I don't know where the other P goes in that in that situation. That I can't speak Danish. Um, but it was for using Mamma Mia, uh, with the lyrics changed to reference the politician... Excuse my pronunciation. Pia Kjærgaard... Um, I'm guessing it's some like Mama Pia or Come On Pia fuck knows uh, but Pia Kjærgaard is a far right leader and she's basically just anti everything a sort of farage on steroids and estrogen um, but Pia Kjærgaard was also awarded uh, at some point uh, the Danish Order of the Danenbrog um, which is some sort of state honour maybe similar to an OBE that's a uh, there to designate chivalry <laughs> funnily enough uh, they are also known as the white knights um, the order of the Danenbrog was also given historically to a certain Hermann Göring uh, albeit it was later rescinded but Hermann Göring is a, a famous art thief and pal of Hitler's you may have heard of him uh, his daughter Edda, Edda Göring uh, who was also Hitler's goddaughter, died in, I think it was as recent as 2019 and she was about 80 years old at the time. Uh, she was buried in an unmarked grave next to her mother, Emmy, in Munich, uh, in a famous cemetery there. Also uh, in that cemetery in Munich is Werner Heisenberg, who we've spoken about in the Nexus before, a, f- a one-time colleague of Neil Bohr who was involved in the the development of the whole notion of quantum physics and a really really interesting story to that guy. Uh, and in that cemetery is Lenny Riefenstahl uh, the director, very famous director of Triumph for the Will*. Uh, now, in 2011, Madonna directed a film called *W.E.*. Did, did anybody see this? No, <laughs> <I> mentioned no. <laughs> Madonna a few times tonight. So this was a feature film. Uh, a fe- it's actually got some really high-level people in it. Um, it's a movie about. I don't know what you call it, the romance, I guess, of Edward VIII uh, and his abdication uh, and his relationship with Miss Simpson, uh, Wallace Simpson, which was like a very, very famous chapter in the British Royal Family's history because, you know, it was a scandal and, you know, whatever. Uh, The film manages to ignore uh, Edward VIII's uh, Nazi parts uh, and it also, maybe slightly inexplicably, maybe not inexplicably, but inadvisedly thanks Lenny Riefenstahl in the credits it also thanks uh, John Galliano you know him fashion designer Mm -hmm. yeah that's think John Galliano was fired by Dior and cancelled because in 2011 (laughs) there were two incidents in very very close proximity one in which he publicly abused this couple in Paris calling I think I, I believe it was the woman he called her a fucking Jewish bitch or a fucking ugly Jewish bitch, and the guy, a fucking Asian bastard. Apparently, he made 30 Jewish insults in the space of 45 minutes, which is good going. That's that's um, called the Triple Gibson. <laughs> 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 yeah, totally. Um, and he was also filmed around about the same time in a bar, in an argument, yelling, I love Hitler. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Not really leaving a lot to the imagination there. Um at uh, a John Galliano 2009 spring uh, summer fashion show in Paris, French acting hunk Olivier Martinez was spotted getting kind of cosy with uh, Lady Giannina Faccio, who is now the wife of the director Ridley Scott. Um, Ridley Scott and Lady uh, Giannina Faccio met in 1996 on the set of White Squall. She was actually an actress and I think she was in the film, um, but that's where they met. Uh, White Squall is a film about the 1961 sinking of the Brigantine Albatross, uh, which was basically a school sailing trip that went horribly wrong. The film features Jeff Bridges. It's quite a decent film. Um, But uh, it's acquired a peculiar significance, a really peculiar significance, because in the film, the bell on the boat is engraved with the logo, where we go one, we go all. (laughs) Right? And that is the origin of the QAnon saying, where we go one, we go all. Oh, It's a very curious and obscure bit of trivia. Uh, there's actually a, f- like a full length um, episode on the podcast QAnon Anonymous, which I'd, I recommend for anybody. It's um, great. Love yeah, that show. They talk about this in a bit more depth, but that is where that saying came from inexplicably. Uh, which was then abbreviated to WWG1WGA, which became like a sort of hashtag that people used to demarcate their affiliation with QAnon. And you'll see it on lifestyle blogs, makeup blogs, house decoration blogs, cookery blogs, all kinds of lifestyle blogs, you'll find this little abbreviated uh, tag. Now, they claim that's because on John F. Kennedy's yacht, the bell also had the engraving where we go when we go up. that actually it turns out isn't true but it's a really really common misconception in that community um, now John F. Kennedy assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald, funnily enough a certain Mr. Yuri Geller claims that he was hired by the CIA whilst <laughs> either whilst he was in Mexico or he was hired and then sent to Mexico because Lee Harvey Oswald had been there at some point but Supposedly he was given this legit job of using his super psychic skills to work out who had actually killed John F. Kennedy and why. Uh, And Yuri Geller was part of a show on Channel 5 called Back to Reality in which he spent 11 weeks in a house with Mr. James Hewitt, a Miss Jade Goody and a Miss Maurice of Driving School.
3: Yeah, impressive. You got around a few things there. Did, uh, uh, now am I right did it take you two steps to get to Nazis uh, to that's amateur so Princess Annie Fried Dowager Countess of Plowen, also known as Frieda from ABBA uh, mm-hmm. I think you mentioned earlier um, that she's from Royal Blood no she actually mm-hmm. that's incorrect she married into Royal Blood oh, okay. Uh, she married uh, um, in 1992 Prince Heinrich Ruzzo of Royce Count of Ploughan who I don't know, a prince of some weird house in Germany somewhere who somehow, s- he still has the title Prince um, he died in 1999 leaving her the titles Dowager Princess and Countess and mm. at one point she was also Her Serene Highness so um, mm-hmm. she has since yeah, got other connotations as well yeah. well indeed, but she's also since taken up with Henry Smith, the 5th Viscount of Hambledon uh, so
1: Hambledon yeah. doesn't sound like a real place I know um, <laughs> So that's like a Harry Potter Like <laughs> set in England That's what she married
3: into But if we're talking about her blood mm-hmm. uh, She is Actually Norwegian um, She was brought up in Sweden But she was born To a Norwegian mother And a German father And her mm-hmm. German father Was a soldier For a sergeant in the Wehrmacht, Um, and it's funny that she's the dark-haired one and not the blonde one, because uh, (laughs) she is literally (laughs) part of um, the children of shame that they call the Liebensborn, which was basically a special Aryan breeding program established in 1935, brainchild of Himmler, and he wanted to breed, uh, you know, literally Aryan super children. Um, And they gave incentives to a Norwegian woman
1: who would... She is is pretty super.
3: Well, yeah. So every pregnant Norwegian woman who could prove her child's Aryan uh, uh, ancestry was entitled to financial support, uh, privileged treatment in maternity homes, um, and they'd receive special education and nutrition, apparently, that reflected the Nazi way of thinking. Yeah, so Frida
1: was a Nazi superchild... Um can I can I also just interject on behalf of the listeners I find it fascinating that you call it Aryan oh well it's a bit like it's a bit like when you say wheezing <laughs> um but of course uh, in 1945
3: just well uh, she was actually born after the end of the war these uh kids weren't seen as so super
1: well, and that, the that reason- guy must have been he must have been shagging and bolting <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so um <laughs> like the americans were just landing and he was like Jesus ah, no! Run right <laughs> away! Um,
3: so, yeah, these uh, children of shame, they were basically, you know, scorned in Norwegian society and so she was uh, given up by her mother and taken by her grandmother and brought up in Sweden and, you know, did all right, actually, in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so. I guess she's uh, only one step away from Nazism. Her dad was a Nazi. Uh, and, yeah, the Nazis... Fought the Second World War. I don't know if you heard about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And during the Second World War, uh, the Italian Navy used the Hagelin C-38 code machine um, as part of their signalling. And the first British, or the first person to decrypt that Italian Navy uh, code machine was a British linguist and noted academic, Bernard Wilson. Uh, Bernard Wilson, actually a really interesting guy himself, after the war. Driving instructor? Well, no, he, he did some interesting stuff after the war, including, you know, lots of cryptography and stuff like that. Uh, but he died in 1994, uh, leaving a son.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm waiting for you to say he was, he was struck by a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> no, he left
3: uh, a son, Quentin Wilson, uh, one time oh. Top Gear presenter and presenter of the television show Driving School on BBC One.
0: Nice one. That Mark? Okay, so mine's just a little shorter, but not too short. In 2013, Agneta Falstock, who is obviously Agneta from Ava, she released her fifth English language album called A, just A, just the word A, and it was co-written by... The a word guy, the A. Just the word <laughs> A. Well, A is the first word in the dictionary, <laughs> Funnily enough. Uh, so anyway, it was co-written by a guy called Jorgen Eilfsen, who... As a, he's a songwriter that's worked with a lot of people. Uh, he's worked with such luminaries like Kelly Clarkson, uh, Celine Dion, Jennifer Lopez, and Westlife. Which isn't actually that huge of a surprise when you realise that he was actually part of the of on Studios, which is where which is which was like part of the big team that also included Max Martin way back at the the late nineties. Um, that you operate until the year 2000, and then it was closed. Obviously, Martin went on to then form Marathon, and need to say. He's now D Max Martin. Um, since then, uh, Jorgen Olsen has continued to work with some people that he was part of sharing on with, and he worked on an album by a young chap who was the winner of Pop Idol uh, by the name of Gareth Gates. He worked on his second album. He co-wrote many of the songs on it, and it was called Go Your Own Way, and it was released in 2004. In 2003, there was a celebrity spin-off of Driving Skill for comic relief, of which starred Maureen Rees and, of course, Gareth Gates.
1: Fantastic! Mm-hmm. And nobody used the fact that she released uh, the the cover of Madness's single "Driving in My Car." Yeah, that seemed like I know that would have been quick, connection. but hey, it's it's absolutely didn't involve well. Nazis. So
0: <laughs> there was actually uh, there was there was almost an ace of base link. <laughs> which, would my, which, would have, which would have made my nexus longer, but now that you guessed both the Nazis, got maybe I should have went for well. the trifecta yeah, yeah, of
1: Nazis. We, like, honestly, we, we cannot overstate the Ace of Base Nazi. Like, I think <laughs> there, there, will always, there will always be people that have missed those episodes that will be like, what the fuck? Ace of Base are Nazis? And you're like, actual Nazis, yes. Like, they're singing about Nazi shit. You can't, just can't, that, that's not going to get old. That's going to be with us right until the end. Mm-hmm. Just just like Dave Grohl used to be an A's an denialist. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. also, also never us. <laughs> That is that's never gonna go either. I know. Hey, people still don't believe me when I say that. I have to go through <laughs> the whole procedure every time. Um all right, team. Well, uh, we did the ABBA special. And how? We really and did it. Fucking how. We're like, we guys, can that. we do this in one episode? Yeah, we can do it in one episode. <laughs> of course.
3: <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh
1: sweet. Mark, I believe you have selected something completely not ABBA for next week.
0: Yeah, so next week we're going to do Jersey's Best Dancers by the New Jersey Pro Pop Punk Band, uh, Lifetime. Not pop punk as we know it, though, which is why I've picked it. So, yeah, it should be interesting. And our mm-hmm. good friend Anna Goldthorpe is going
1: to be joining us. Yep, Dave's taking a, a week off.
3: Yeah, I hate hardcore.
1: A week off? How how, how (laughs) wee is the calf (laughs) (laughs) Dave's calves are getting pretty beefy Yeah I've got my big calves I'm walking 20,000 steps a day mate Jesus It's it's wild man Um, Now I may may have got my wires crossed With Nexus shouts So this next one Is definitely going to be Leonard Pierce Who I don't know who that is He's uh, the dad from Steptoe
3: and Son Oh, really? Oh, good. Okay,
1: okay that, that's that's good. Uh, and that was chosen by Declan McCaffrey. I think we maybe said that last time, but I'd also I'd forgotten about the, the Wiimo. Great. So Sorry, Declan. It's going to have to wait another week, but we will get there uh, and we'll try and get double Nazis in it for you. How about double that? Nazis. Double Nazis to make it up to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, cool. Good job, guys. Uh, actually, really quite a pleasant and strife free week listening to Swedish harmonies so yes. Mark do you think Lifetime can be as good? Uh, from a pop point of view absolutely not but we'll, we'll, yeah, nah, we'll I, get there you chose it so I know it's just not going to happen <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out we'll find out I've got an open mind-ish alright see you Dave see you in two weeks bye Mark. have a nice time